0: Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Thank you for joining us for this episode as we continue the extraordinary story of Paul's adventures and dangers uh, that he faced in his life. And during the last seven episodes, which I hope many of you will have seen as you follow through the sequence of events, we've been following the story of Paul whilst he was in the city of Jerusalem. He'd been traveling to Jerusalem uh, with a deliberate intention of meeting the church there, giving a large financial gift to the church because of the economic needs of the Christians in Judea and Jerusalem. Um, And when he got to Jerusalem, he entered into difficulties almost as soon as he arrived because of the opposition of the religious authorities, who saw him as somebody who had betrayed Judaism fundamentally. He was a traitor. He'd swapped sides. He used to be on their side, but now he was a follower of Jesus um, since the Damascus Road experience that Paul had had. And so Paul entered into great difficulty because uh, there was rioting in the Temple of Jerusalem when he walked into the temple, then he entered into Roman custody, and a whole two-year period followed which has been described in the last seven episodes and is described in detail by Luke who was an eyewitness in which for the most part Paul was in prison. He was held by the Romans as a prisoner while they tried to decide what to do with him. They did not agree with the Jews that he'd broken any laws. They felt it was a religious dispute between Paul and the Jews and the governor's hesitated to know what to do about it. First of all, Governor Felix, then when he was replaced, Governor Festus. And in the meantime, Paul was in prison for two years in the Roman capital city of Caesarea. This process came to an end when Paul decided to appeal to the Roman Emperor Caesar. I appealed to Caesar, he said in Acts 25 verse 11. This was his legal right as a Roman citizen and meant that the governor had to transfer Paul to Rome to be tried at the Imperial Supreme Court. This is now the situation that uh, we're looking at in this particular episode. Governor Festus is making the arrangement for Paul to be transferred to Rome and we're going to follow the story Of this voyage, which was longer, more dangerous, more complex, more adventurous than anyone could possibly have imagined when they set out uh, on the on board the ship leaving Caesarea. Acts 27 verses 1 to 2. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. International travel in those days was mostly by sea if at all possible much quicker and easier than to go by land. Ships tended to sail along the coastline for safety and the best season to travel was between the spring and the autumn and this becomes significant in the, st- the story because in the winter it was more of a stormy season. Now, Julius the centurion here, the Roman centurion, has a number of prisoners who are being taken to Rome. Paul is one of them. And it says here that we got on board. That means Luke was actually on board ship. And so was another man called Aristarchus. So Paul had two of his friends traveling with him, a group of three, Paul the prisoner and two of his friends traveling to Rome by sea. And there were a number of soldiers on board whose job was to guard the prisoners. And this voyage fell in two halves. The first half was fairly uneventful and the second half was entirely the opposite. Let's read verses 3 to 12, telling us about the first half of the voyage. The next day we landed at Sidon and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the Centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty off Cnidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Salmoni. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lassia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. Well, they're travelling along the coast. They stop at Sidon and notice the kindness of the centurion, who, who had been told by Paul that there was a church in Sidon and, um, and uh, he, had, he was allowed to get off the ship for a short time under guard and go and visit his friends who gave him hospitality, prayer support, no doubt some food and some financial gifts. And they sail along the coast of what is now Lebanon, Syria and southern Turkey, right to the western side of southern Turkey as it is today to come to the port of Myra, where they change ships. And it's interesting that the centurion chooses a ship that is coming from Alexandria, a port in Egypt, and heading towards Italy. This is very significant because Egypt, the northern part of Egypt, was a very, very fertile area and produced enormous amounts of grain You may remember the story in the Old Testament, how Joseph in Egypt was able, in good weather conditions, to gather in a massive harvest of grain. It was an incredible fertile area in the Nile Delta, and it was a a sort of food supply for the Roman Empire. And ships from Alexandria carrying large quantities of grain very often stopped in this particular port of Myra. Um, They went due north to Myra, and then they travelled across to the west to head to Rome, and it's almost certainly a grain ship that the centurion decides is going to be the ship to take these prisoners to Rome. And these grain ships were very important, because the, the, the population in Italy, and particularly the large population in Rome, was always short of sufficient grain, and they... They arranged it so that grain would come in from the provinces into Italy and into Rome. It was a very crucial part of the food supply network. And so these ships were also rather large. And we find later on in the account that uh, 276 people were on board. Now, that's a very large ship by the standards of the day. And only a few of those people would have been prisoners. There would have been soldiers, other travelers, the sailors, and those responsible for this huge cargo. But already as they're traveling along, the weather conditions are not good. They're fighting against the prevailing winds. And time is passing, and Luke notices that uh, the time of the Day of Atonement is coming and that is roughly in early October. So, the season of the year is not favourable for sailing, they're heading towards November, December, January, the worst times to take this voyage across the Mediterranean. And in the next part of their voyage, they have to cross over to Italy without staying close to the land because of the nature of the way the land lies. And so they have to be further away from the land. And so the danger of storms increases as this is the case. And so these difficult weather conditions are developing as they are sailing against the wind. And Paul has this sense in his heart that it's going to be a difficult voyage, and he encourages them to stop sailing, to stay on the island of C- of Crete, and to wait until the winter is past. Now, this was a decision many people had to make um, when travelling by sea in the in the ancient world, which was, if you're travelling in the autumn, do you continue travelling into the winter season with much greater danger it was a tactical decision and some people wintered as they said in harbour they would spend many weeks in harbour before they were willing to move on with their journey And because of the season of the year this was the decision that had to be made by those responsible for the ship but they decided against Paul's advice we're going to carry on even though the weather looks bad and the season isn't good and so we come to the second half of the voyage, where the ship encounters an astonishingly prolonged storm with hurricane conditions. We're going to read verses 13 to 26. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called the Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee, of a small island called Corda, We were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it abroad. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a vicious battering from the storm that the next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul you must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Well, it's a serious storm if you can't see the sun, the moon and the stars for several days because of the clouds and the wind and the rain. But that's exactly what happened. They're crossing over the Adriatic Sea in the Mediterranean and unable to see the sun and unable to control the ship significantly. And so safety measures are taken. These are severe measures. This shows the real danger. They take the lifeboat on board rather than have it tied to the rear of the ship as was the standard practice. They didn't want it to be separated in the storm. They put ropes around the hull of the ship which was a common practice but only used in very severe conditions. The pressure of the seawater in stormy conditions could force a leak in the hull and so this was prevented to some degree by passing ropes round the ship. They lowered the anchor not to slow the ship down because the ship was moving too fast. The storm was pushing it. It was out of control. They'd taken the sails then. They even threw the cargo overboard and some of the ship's equipment, spare sails and spare ropes were thrown overboard. These are severe actions that tell us that it was an emergency. There was a real risk of sinking. And they didn't know where they were. They lost their sense of location. They couldn't navigate by seeing any land. They couldn't navigate by the stars. They couldn't navigate by any means whatsoever. They were just drifting along and despairing when Paul brings his message that everybody's life will be saved because an angel has spoken to him miraculously in the night. What a terrible situation to be in. Men and women fearing for their lives, literally, because if the ship sank, there was no chance of survival, no chance of rescue in those circumstances far out at sea in the middle of a storm and verses 27 to 44 tell us where they landed and what happened in that perilous landing as they struck land shortly after the events just described and the ship was wrecked verses 27 to 44 On the 14th day, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep or 37 metres deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was now 90 feet or 27 metres deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without any food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes and held the rudders Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Wow, what an extraordinary story. At night, they approached land. Nothing could be worse than approaching land at night almost no visibility. The soundings indicated that the depth of the water was diminishing quickly and sailors always knew what that meant. Land was very close and there was a risk of running aground. The sailors planned to escape in the lifeboat fearing that the ship would sink offshore and they wanted to escape, but they were prevented from doing so when the soldiers cut the lifeboat adrift. This is dramatic stuff. Paul's watching all this happen. He's got this faith that God's going to preserve everyone, but no one else has that confidence. They're terrified. It's a terrifying situation. But Paul said, eat some food. And so all of them ate before throwing grain into the sea. Do you notice that grain is the cargo? That's the clue that suggests to us this is a grain ship from Egypt. And if you throw the cargo into the sea, you're throwing the most precious commodity, something that you could sell for a great price. Some of the grain had been thrown to sea sea before, but now some more was thrown overboard. And finally they see the land and they try and land safely with the ship, but they're unable to do that because of the sandbar. And so the ship literally begins to break up. And of course, not everybody could swim. Those who swam ashore, who were able to, they swam ashore safely, and other people just got hold of planks and anything that they could get from the ship. And amazingly, nobody died. Now, reading this story, without knowing of God's miraculous word to Paul that every life would be saved, you'd think surely somebody would have died in that situation. So much danger, so many people, such confusion, such high risk. But every single person survived, including, of course, Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus, the little group who are traveling together to Rome under the watchful eye of the centurion. And it turns out that they've landed in the island of Malta. Now, the chances of them actually reaching that particular land are very remote. The storm could have taken them past Malta very easily because Malta's a relatively small island in a very big ocean. And they could have traveled much further into the open sea, but they landed on Malta just in time before the ship was destroyed, and they have traveled in this storm approximately 350 to 400 kilometers out of control. They've not been able to control the ship. They've not been able to use the sails. The rudder's not powerful enough to control the direction of the ship because of the intensity of the storm, this is an absolutely terrifying experience. But even in this storm, Paul's faith is strong. And God speaks to him yet again. We've seen many times in the book of Acts where God speaks directly to him the Macedonian call, the difficult situation in Corinth, in prison in Caesarea, and now out at sea in the middle of a brutal storm in the middle of the Mediterranean. And at last, they land in Malta, as we discover from chapter 28, verse 1. And we're going to, in the next episode, look at what happens when Paul unexpectedly arrives in Malta, a place he never imagined he would ever visit. So what can we learn from this passage? First of all, it affirms the sovereignty of God over our lives. Because we all experience storms of one sort or another. Here is a physical storm. And maybe you've experienced in the natural world in your own life some very dangerous conditions, many of us have. Maybe you've experienced other type of storms, terribly difficult circumstances that are prolonged and intense and disempowering, where you feel that you're out of control of what's going on around you. Well, during that time, we need to remember this story. And remember, God is sovereign even over this storm. He can stop it. He can act within it. He can act through it. He can act despite it. As he did in the situation with Paul. He saved Paul. He saved all those people. And Paul began to preach the gospel in Malta, which he never intended to do. And the second thing we can learn from this is, again, the book of Acts emphasizes the role of angels, angelic visitations. Angels are there to help the church. They are hidden from view, but they might be operating in your life to protect you in ways that you never really know and understand. And sometimes you may have an encounter with a divine angelic being, just as Paul did himself. Such encounters are witnessed throughout church history. And another reflection is the importance of fellowship in times of hardship. Don't forget, there were three Christians on this ship. It wasn't just Paul on his own, but Luke and Aristarchus and Paul could meet together, could pray, could encourage each other, could talk together, could share their feelings together throughout these many difficult days of the storm. Fellowship encourages us and don't forget that the Christians in Sidon had encouraged Paul. He'd been to visit them. They'd probably given him some extra food rations and some extra money, lots of prayer and support along the way. In times of hardship, fellowship with our fellow Christians is important. And even someone as great as Paul as a leader needed people around him to encourage him. And that's what Luke and Aristarchus did for Paul on this trip. So it's an amazing story. Very surprising what happens in this story if we've never read it before. But now Paul is much closer to Italy. Because Malta's directly south of Italy, it's a relatively short uh, trip by sea to get from Malta to Italy. The centurion and the soldiers have all arrived in Malta. There's going to be a pause there. They're going to spend a bit of time there, and then the centurion will arrange for Paul to get to Rome. And we'll hear about what happens. Uh, from this point onwards in our final two episodes where we look at the events of the last chapter of the book of Acts, Acts 28. So I hope you'll join us for those episodes. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.